listening to the We Take Full Responsibility podcast, a podcast where we talk with our guests about their stories of taking responsibility at work, at home, and in the margins. On this week's episode, we sit down with Michael Manning to talk about the power of knowing that you matter and discussions on child sex slavery and the work being done to eradicate it. So buckle in. This is episode eight of the We Take Full Responsibility podcast. Welcome back to the We Take Full Responsibility podcast. This is Taylor Holmes along with Kyle Bush. Good to be here. Absolutely. Episode eight. Here we go. Oh, man. I am so excited. I'm really excited today because we have one of my good friends, Michael Manning, yeah. hopping on the podcast today. Uh, Michael, how about you uh, give us a hey? Hey, how's it going, guys? <laughs> <laughs> We're so glad you're here. Yeah. Um, I am really happy to be here, too. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who don't know who Michael is, Michael hails from the great state of Illinois, um, <laughs> but even greater, the city of Chicago. Um, he works for an organization called Destiny Rescue, and Destiny Rescue is an international organization uh, that does uh, sex trafficking awareness, uh, mainly for children. Uh, but they also in Southeast Asia and a few other countries mm. actually go into bars and brothels and rescue kids out. And so we're mm. going to get into a little bit more of that a little bit later into the episode. But Michael, how about you jump in and tell us just a little bit of your story and what your career journey has looked uh, so far, mainly uh, leading up to Destiny Rescue and then your last five years with them. Absolutely. So it goes way back when um, I was working. I was working retail. I was retail management. Uh, I had gone to DePaul out of high school, and the week that I went to more Cubs games than classes kind of defined my career at DePaul. <laughs> and so, that. yeah, I just never finished. Never finished my undergrad, and was working retail, and just really came to a point where I just decided I did didn't want to work retail for the rest of my life. Um, it's nothing wrong with it, but it just wasn't, it wasn't for me. And I just, I was really miserable doing it. And so I decided to go back and get my degree. I had already gotten about halfway through for, um, my bachelor's in marketing. So I decided I'm just going to continue that and ended up doing that and was looking for a part-time job while I was doing that and ended up uh, running into a pastor and, uh, at a wedding and he was looking for a youth pastor. And so I came on and became the youth pastor at this church and absolutely loved it and had a great time for about four years. And just through a variety of circumstances, my time at that church came to an end and moved on and ended up, I had finished my undergrad degree and ended up getting a job with Komatsu Financial, which was, which is a finance company that finances the heavy machinery that Komatsu sells. And I would come home from work every day after that and was absolutely miserable. And my wife just, she's like, why are you doing this? You know, why don't you figure out what you'd much rather do and do it? Right. And so I thought about it. And at first I thought, well, maybe I'll go into education. I love working with kids. I enjoyed my time doing youth ministry and um, I'll get a, I'll get a, I'll get a master's in education and end up going and becoming a teacher. And just started thinking about it was working part-time at a, at a school uh, at a college and just realized I hated that. You know, I mean, I, it just was not for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, what am I going to do? You know, what am I, what was that? What have I really been passionate about? And it's been ministry work. And I remember I'm sitting there, I'm laying in bed. I'm like, okay, I'm going to tell my wife that I am, that I need to change the direction again. And I'm like, how is this going to go over? And we're laying there and I'm just kind of staring at the ceiling. And I finally just tell her, I think I'm not going to go into, go into education. I think I'm going to go into, go into ministry. And I think I'm going to go to a seminary. And she just, I was, I was really 
waiting for her to say, come on, make up your mind, figure it out. You know, and she's like, well, it's about time you figured that out and was absolutely supportive of me going to seminary. And so I went to seminary and uh, became a youth pastor again while I was in seminary and just had uh, just a great time, another about four years in uh, doing youth ministry and just absolutely enjoyed it. When I finished seminary, I wasn't quite sure what God was calling me to while I was in seminary. I didn't know what the end was going to look like. And this was right after the market crashed and all of that. And so I was really struggling trying to find a job and um, really just was looking for about two years and could not find anything. I ended up taking on another youth ministry position and just um, absolutely just did not. I mean, I loved the, the kids that I was working with or the students that I was working with had a, had a good time, but just really was clear that that's just not the direction I was supposed to go. And um, ended up running into a guy that was working with Destiny Rescue and said, hey, we're looking for somebody to open up the, the Chicago office. Would you be interested? And it was one of those things where it was really, it was pretty much the only door that got opened for me. Yeah. And Destiny and I, Rescue is the name of your organization that you're currently with, correct? That is the organization I'm currently with, correct. Right. Okay. And it was, clear. yep, it was a fundraising position. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, I don't really want to do fundraising for the rest of my that. life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause you guys don't do any fundraising, do you? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, so I ended up getting that position. I ended up starting off the Chicago office in with destiny rescue. And in my five years with destiny rescue, I've had uh, about five titles or six titles. Oh, uh, wow. I just keep, keep moving. So I started as the regional manager and then took over and, uh, got that office going, got the area going for fundraising, and then started the grant position, started the grant writing position for our organization, and okay. got the grant the grant department going, um, and then moved into um, kind of a promotion from that. Instead of being grant manager, I was the director of foundation partnerships, which was basically the same thing. I was just the, um, the director for uh, foundation partnerships, and then added support services after that. And now okay. I am the national director of operations with destiny rescue. So just well, kind of moving. Quite the, quite yeah. The trajectory. yeah. <laughs> it is. It is. So that's, that's kind of been my, my career path to where I am and, and how I've gotten to where I am now. That's awesome. And could you maybe just clarify what destiny rescue does nationally? So here in the U S and then what they do internationally. Absolutely. So Destiny Rescue, we're an international organization. Our main focus is on the international side where we do, uh, we, we do rescue and restoration work for our main audience. Our main target is uh, youth in sex trafficking. And so we actually go and you had mentioned, we go into the bars and the brothels and we rescue kids from uh, various types of sexual abuse and sexual trafficking. Uh, we do rescue some from, uh, labor trafficking as well, but that's far less. Uh, and so that's what we, that's our main thing that we have aftercare programs that we, that we have for the, for the girls that we rescue. And then uh, really trying to help them stay free from sex trafficking. And then here in the U S what we do is we partner with churches and other organizations that really want to get into the fight against human trafficking. And we try to equip them to be able to make an impact in the lives of these girls that uh, that we end up rescuing and restoring overseas. And what does that look like when you go to a church and you're like, hey, here's this, you know, this is what we do. Um, I mean, do you have to do like what what kind of, I don't know, marketing or initially you said you were a fundraiser, right? So you had to tell the story Correct. of the organization. What did that look like? So that's that's a pretty hard job. If you've never done fundraising, I don't know if you realize how hard it is. Um, I thought it would be hard, but I had no clue as to how hard it is. And really the thing is, is when you're going into church, the one of the things you have to keep in mind is that everybody's going into a church asking for money. And all of these organizations are going and vying for money. And so my job was, instead of going in and just asking for money, going in and, and kind of approaching the church, approaching the people within the church and saying, hey, do you want to make an impact against in the fight against human uh, human trafficking, 
and really trying to give them the ability to have the tools and equip them to be able to make that impact in uh, in the fight against human trafficking. Yeah. And so once they would say yes, you know, mm-hmm. and have us come in, and it could take a variety of different ways. A lot of times it's just coming in and, and really just sharing stories about uh, the work that we do, what a rescue looks like, what aftercare looks like, um, just giving some idea of what the impact is in the lives of these girls. It's just, it's so cool to be able to to meet some of these girls and to see how different their lives are now. And, and just some of these extremely yeah. talented and skilled girls that are now free from sex trafficking, not having to work in that field anymore. Yeah, my and goodness. Really, yeah. It's really cool. <laughs> oh my gosh. I can't imagine those stories and what that has to do for you knowing that like, you know, the work day to day, seems like maybe a grind, but then you hear these stories of these lives that have been changed and you're like, wow, that's, that's the bottom line. So. Yeah, it really is. It's one of those things where you're right. The day to day work can be a grind, especially now because I'm uh, really getting into the nitty gritty of the running of the organization as the operations manager or director of sure. operations. And, yeah. Um, it can be really easy to have your nose buried into spreadsheets and into oh, Salesforce yeah. and mm-hmm. different things mm-hmm. like that. And just really losing sight of why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. And then you hear a story and you hear about all the, the you know, the kids that are getting rescued. And, and that's really the key to staying engaged in the work is being able to, realize that what I'm doing here is having an impact all the way on the other side of the world. Right. That perspective of like, yeah, I think Taylor, I mean, I won't speak for you, but that resonates just as far as like our day-to-day jobs look different, but then you hear the story Mm -hmm. and you're like, this Mm -hmm. is why we do what we do. And so it's just having that perspective of like, this is what this is going towards. This is my why. Right. Taylor loves to say. Yeah. I I love to say um, that, in order to keep on going, uh, we have to know the why to be able to continue to step into the what. And the what isn't always clear, uh, but the why is. And we need those things that remind us uh, why we're getting up in the morning, why we're sharing yeah. stories, while, why are we uh, going after churches. And um, yeah, and I think, Michael, just you're somebody that does that really well. Yeah, I, I think it's pretty cool to think about how you were – you know, you, I love, you said you went to more baseball games than classes and you're like, all right, college isn't for me. <laughs> and then it took, you know, realizing that retail wasn't for you either. So you're kind of just crossing things off your list. You're like, you know what, I guess I should go back to school, right? You went back to school um, because you realized that retail wasn't what you wanted to do. Correct. Yeah. I actually went back to school twice. But I mean, it just kind of took those experiences of like, you know, you know, when you find yourself in a season of like, uh, this is hard and tired and maybe I don't know my why kind of buckling down and saying like, all right, well, what is it then? Like if, if we're going to, it's okay to step back and change directions and that's important. That's led you to where you're at now. So that's really encouraging. Yeah. Um, one of the best pieces of advice I had heard was, and I don't, I would love to give you, let you know where I had heard this from, but it was somebody had said something about, you know, figure out what you want to do and do it no matter how old you are. You know, if you want to become a doctor at 50, become a doctor at 50 because you're going to be 50 anyway. Mm. You might as well be doing what you want to do, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so yeah. it it's kind of, that's basically the way I've kind of lived my life is really trying to figure out what is the direction that God wants me to go and how do I get there? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because I think he'll give, he'll, he'll kind of put passions on and lay passions on my heart and really kind of get me fired up for something but then not give me a whole lot of details and yeah. let me try to, to, to make the, figure out the journey. You know, he lights one step at a time and maybe not, doesn't mm-hmm. give you the whole plan ahead of time, but mm-hmm. um, really just trying to take it one step at a time and being obedient and following him in that. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Michael, I think that segues really well into in your job, you have to share a lot of stories Mm-hmm. And you also have to share stories with people uh, who will never meet the people that you're sharing their stories. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on one, how do you share other stories well? And then how do you cast a vision for someone caring for someone they will never meet? The, wow, those are really good questions. 
Um, we do this professionally. That, so. This is, yeah. our, uh, this is our, what we do now. our night job. <laughs> <laughs> well, those are really good questions, especially when you, you, you have to think about, I'm not sharing just my own story. I am sharing other people's stories. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of care and respect that you have to take when you're telling someone else's story. Um, even if you're a part of that story, you have to consider the other people that are within that story. And it might even be people that's not directly in the story, but people that are affected by that story. And I think the great example of that was, I mean, I'm working with Destiny Rescue and a lot of our work is in Thailand and Cambodia. And I've, I lead mission trips to Thailand I lead and Cambodia every year. And so I have this small experience about with Thailand and with Cambodia. And, and so I know a little bit about that. I know a little bit about the, the culture, the history, and all of that that's going on. And I met this girl, and she was Thai. And she says, hey, I'd love for you to come to my church and share. I have such a passion for my people. I was born in Thailand. I'm growing up here, and I just, I'd love for you to share about what you guys are doing in Thailand at my church. And I said, sure, I'd love to do that. And so they had me come in and it was, it was probably about a month beforehand that um, I realized, wait a minute, I'm going into a Thai church to share about the work of Destiny Rescue in Thailand. And these aren't like just Thai Americans that were born in the US but have Thai heritage. These are people from Thailand that are in the U.S., living in the U.S. right now for either work or education or, or just they've moved their family here or whatever, but they have a very direct con uh, connection back to Thailand. And that is where they're at. And I have to sit there and I have to tell them about what's going on in Thailand. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I have to tell them about the things that are leading to the issue in Thailand. And they know a heck of a lot more about Thailand than I do. And not only did I have to tell Thai people this, I had to tell them through an interpreter that would be sharing what I'm saying in Thai. And it really made me sit there and think, okay, how do I talk about this in a way that is respectful to, mm. I'm going to tell stories about girls. Right. I want to be respectful to those girls, but I also want to be respectful to the Thai culture and the Thai people. And I don't want to sit there and insult them, um, even, even doing it inadvertently. And I've been in, right. in situations where I've seen people completely inadvertently uh, telling a story that absolutely puts down the people that, that they're telling the story to. And they have no mean, they don't mean to do that, but that's what ends up happening. And so I had to figure out how to tell that story with a lot of care and respect. Um, another aspect that I find really important is I may be an expert about what Destiny Rescue does, and I know a lot about human trafficking now, and I know a lot about sex trafficking. And I was asked to come and share at, at a, with a group of counselors about aftercare. Hmm. I don't have any real expertise in aftercare, no. and I don't have any real expertise in counseling. And so I have to talk to them and I have to be an expert about what we do, but also realizing that I need to have some humility and know that I'm actually running into people who know more about the topic than I do. And they want to hear our perspective and, and how we approach it, but they're going to be looking at it through a very different lens than if I just go into a church and talk. And so um, kind of having this humility of understanding that there might be people in the audience that will have more direct knowledge of what I'm talking about when I tell these stories mm -hmm. and understanding. And, you know, I'm going to run into people who may have actually been trafficked. Wow. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and have, have dealt with, with sex abuse and this is going to be a real trigger for them. And so I need to have a lot of care in that. And a lot of it's, again, it just goes into the humility um, but one of the biggest things that you have to have as well is you have to have a lot of passion. So I need to have respect. I need to have humility and I need to have passion about it. 
Um, if it's not important to me, why would it ever be important to those people that, that are listening to what I'm talking about? Um, and that also goes with talking to them about something. Um, when I'm talking to those that are, they have to, they have to catch this vision and they have to catch this understanding of what's going on with people that they'll never meet. Um, it's that passion that really helps connect with them. And sure, I'm not the, I'm not the rah, rah, get up on the stage, shout and scream. We actually have some people on our team that are much more like the passion just ex exudes from them. Like everything they do, it's just like they're on 100% of the time type thing. And I'm just not that I, I tend to be more even keeled, but you can still get that passion across in a different way. Um, and really sharing just real, just how this has affected you and then sharing how they, the, the people that are, that are sitting there listening to this, they're never going to meet these girls, but I can sit there and I can express to them how they can make an impact in the lives of these girls. Right. And that is huge is being able yeah. to share that. Um, so that's yeah. really that's how I approach it. Yeah. Um, and that's sorry. That's, that's such a high calling because it's such a sensitive conversation. Like the, the context is so, I mean, just the, the emotional intelligence it requires to, to tell that story in a way that, like you said, respects the girls and respects the folks you're talking to. I mean, that is, that's tough. So, Kudos to you, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. It's it's really good that my wife helps me out a lot, um, mm -hmm. and she hears me speak a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, on one hand, I feel kind of sorry from her for her because she ends up <laughs> hearing the same stories over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, it's always really good to have her there to just be able to kind of keep me in check and yeah. give me feedback. You know, she. She is willing to be a my my harshest critic. Well, probably my second harshest critic. I am probably my own <laughs> harshest critic. <laughs> we <laughs> all are. Yeah. yeah, you know. But just to have her to ha a sounding board and, and being able to say, okay, told the story a little bit different this time. How did that work? Um, did it come across right? Was you know was I being respectful? All those types of things. I can re I can bounce that off of her. So it's, it's mm. really good to have her there to help me out with that. Yeah. And do you still do a, a ton of speaking? I know you said you're more into the, the operation side of things now. I don't do as much as I used to. Um, I probably spoke anywhere from three to five times a month. Actually, it's probably more than that if you counted everything, but it was probably anywhere from six to 10 times a month previously. Oh, wow. Now I'm probably six to 10 times a year. Um, okay. I do have a couple of a uh, couple of fairly big speaking opportunities coming up, and I have some places that they invite me back every year to to share uh, updates about what's going on. They're they're longtime supporters of us, and so um, I am speaking less. Uh, I'm speaking less than I used to. Right, and so, and so you were telling these stories as part of the kind of the fundraising deal, and then um, what? I mean, did you realize like your own gifts? Did other people see things in you that like um, brought you along in your career? Because you said you've had, was it six positions now? Yes. Yeah. And so like what, how did you find your niche? Or, I been, don't know if you want to call it that, your, your strengths yeah. or whatever and to, that led you to where you're at now. It's been a combination of figuring out where I see, see my own strengths, what, what I see okay, I really enjoy doing this. I really enjoy this aspect of things. Um, you know, I'm the type of person where I can have two or three spreadsheets open and going at the same time. Um, I love researching, okay, we need a policy on this. What are all the legal ramifications that we have to consider? What are all right. the tax ramifications? Yeah. So, I mean, I love that type of stuff. Um, and so I, I figured out what I like. Uh, that was a big part of it. But then sure. my boss has... Uh, our CEO, he's my, my boss. And he is, he has been really good about recognizing where I have my gifts and where I will make 
a huge impact and where I make the best impact for the organization. Mm -hmm. And he has encouraged me. And so it's, he's my boss, but he's also a mentor at the same time. And uh, I think he has been absolutely instrumental in getting me to where I'm at. Obviously I could want a position, but if my boss isn't willing to give it to me, I'm not going to get there. And so so, it's, it's really key to be able to have that conversation with him. Yeah. A common theme that we've seen through the last eight episodes is that uh, people having people around them that cast a lot of vision for them and call them into more. Um, And I think Kyle and I are products of that, even ourselves. Definitely for sure. Uh, And so it's sweet to hear just you say, I found what I want or what I like to do. I found what I'm good at. My bosses are recognizing that and then pushing me into that more and more every day. And uh, so that's really sweet. And I'm wondering how do you do that for the people around you on your teams or when you go into a place to share, how do you drive purpose and vision for them? Wow. That is, um, I think that can be really difficult depending on the type of like what your leadership style is. And I am definitely not a, a micromanager. Um, I had when I, especially when I was like in the grants doing the grant type work, I had a grant writer that was working for me and she was excellent because I could just kind of tell her what we needed to do and she would get it done. And what I, what I would do with her is kind of the same thing where I was just talking about story, uh, sharing a lot of the stories with her. She did not, she didn't get to experience the frontline work nearly as much as I did. Um, you know, I'm leading mission trips every year. And so I'm, I'm getting that frontline, uh, that frontline experience and being able to share those stories with her uh, really helped her out and being able to draw out um, different stories from different people within the organization, scheduling meetings to have, you know, the, the guys in the Philippines that are sharing, that are doing work there, being able to share with us as a team um, is absolutely huge. And understanding that um, the more information that our team has about our frontline work is generally going to help them want to do the work themselves because obviously they're not doing frontline work either. And so they want to know that what they're doing actually matters and making sure to, to share the impact. So we would win a grant. And the first thing I would do is I'd be emailing the team and, and saying, hey, this is what's happened. Thank you so much. I really appreciate all your hard work on this. We couldn't have done it without you. Um, really being able to to encourage them through the story and the impact that they're making, and showing them appreciation. If you if you if you show appreciation to your to your teammates, it will go a long way in getting them having them being able to take responsibility for what they're doing and knowing what they're doing makes an impact. Um, I don't know that anything motivate somebody more than knowing that they matter. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good word. So I'm kind of curious, man. I mean, this is, we can, uh, you know, interpret this how you will or however you feel like you need to answer it. But can you explain to me, you know, you said you do fundraising and you guys work in, in rescue and after, after rescue, I forget the term you use. Aftercare. Aftercare. Yes. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me kind of palpably, what, what do those things look like? And if you have a story from the field, we'll call it great. But obviously, like you said, you want to make sure and be respectful. Don't feel like you have to. Absolutely. Um, so I can start with rescue. We do two different types of rescue. We do what's called a hard rescue, where we actually will, our guys will go in, they'll do all the investigative work. They'll gather evidence. They'll come back and they we partner with the police and the police will actually go in, do a raid arrest everybody, rescue, you know, arrest all the perpetrators, rescue the girls. And then those girls end up, uh, being able to get out of that. They're given aftercare either through us or through somebody else. So like, and that's, another and that's like a program or, okay, gotcha. So yeah, there, like... there's going to be, yeah, for the aftercare, it's definitely, we have our own programs that we use, but then there are times that, uh, like in the Philippines, we do a lot of work with the government and the government actually has a really good child protective services and they 
they manage all of the aftercare for the girls, but then they will allow us to have interactions with them so we can go back and see them and talk with them and, and make sure that, that they're, they're healing from what they're, what they're, what they've been rescued from, but also that they're being given the the skills and the, and, and equipped with um, the ability to go and do something else because you can't just, most of the girls that we rescue, they're about the 15, 16 years old. Um, Not a whole lot of education usually. And they, they have, they're, they're a lot of them are trapped in this because they have no other option. I mean, when you're, when you're that age and you don't have any real job skills, what are you going to do? And oftentimes kind of no family either. Right. Or right. Either, either no family or really high levels of poverty within the family. So there's no real family support, whether the family wants to or not, they can't a lot of times. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then we also do go ahead. So I think, um, maybe if you could share with us, like, before you get to the aftercare, like how does a kid find themselves in a bar or a brothel being sold for sex to somebody? Most of the places that we work, it is, it is really due to poverty. Um, that's the number one driving factor behind this is the fact that um, they're, they're coming of age. They're, they're getting to be 13 to 15 years old mom and dad can't support them anymore. And a lot of times we work in places where the family can send one of their kids to school or two of their kids to school. And unfortunately that's usually going to be the boy. If there's a boy in the family, the boy gets to go to school, gets to go to school. And then the girl has to help support the family. Um, A lot of the girls that we have that we rescue, they, they will have maybe like a second or third grade education level. Um, so they don't really have a lot of education. They're coming and this from is the domestically, hills. right? Or is this, this is international. We, this we don't do any, yeah, we don't do any rescue work in the U S currently. Okay. Uh, we are investigating that, but it's not anything we do. This is, so this is going to be mostly in Southeast Asia is where we do a lot of our rescue work. Um, so they have, they have high levels of poverty. They need to go find a job. They're coming from a, a, a village that there's just not a lot of work. So they go to the big city to try and find work and they end up um, they end up getting a job at a, what they think is a restaurant, but it's really a karaoke bar or some sort of uh, establishment like that where they end up serving drinks. Uh, it's usually where they'll start and then they end up getting, they'll, they'll have to sit with the customers after that. And then they maybe they go on what they think is a date, um, but it's really not a date. They're being sold for sex at that point. Um, and so it's, and it'll look different in different countries. Um, some of the places we rescue, it is, when I use the term brothel, it's probably exactly what you picture in your head where they're basically under lock and key. Uh, the windows are barred. The girls go into this. They don't see the light of day. Um, they are they are servicing anywhere from 10 to, to, to 20 people a day. Um, regardless of whether they want to or not. And so um, it, it is, we see some situations where maybe family members actually sell them into that. I hate to paint with a broad brush and say that that's always the case because it really isn't. Um, it, it does happen and, and it usually will happen when um, either one or both of the parents are no longer in the picture. And so that's when maybe a family member will sell them into it. Or if the family member has a gambling or a drug or an alcohol problem, um, that's, that's how they get trapped into that. Um, so I, I do want to share, let me share one story. We, so I talked about the raids. We did the rescue raids. Um, we also do what's called a soft rescue or, or a relational rescue where we actually go in undercover into the bars and we sit down with the girls and we actually build a relationship with the girls. And I've actually had the opportunity to do that. Oh, wow. Um, it is, it's, it is something that I, I thought I was prepared for. I've been to the red light districts. That's part of our mission trips. So I, I, I started and shared with, with you guys about the one type of raid, the one type of rescue that we do. It's the raid rescue that we do. We also do what's called a soft rescue. 
that's where we actually go in and trying to build a relationship with the girls. Our guys actually go in undercover into the bars and they build this relationship with the girl and then we can get the girl out once they understand that we're there to help them. And that can take some time. Uh, and I've actually had the opportunity to do that type of rescue work. And it's one of those things where uh, I'd love to just share a little bit of a story with you about that. It's, it's, I really thought I was prepared for that. We do part of our mission trips is we do red light district walkthroughs. So I've been through red light districts. I've seen the establishments, but I've never actually been in them uh, prior to this. And Can so you explain I a, I was a red light district real quick, Michael? Sorry. Yeah, no, absolutely. So red light district is just an area where there's going to be a lot of bars. It's usually bars. It can be other types of establishments where um, it's just a, a whole bunch of bars or a whole bunch of brothels where you go into the place and every single girl in the place is for sale. Um, you can you can buy them for sex at any point in time. And so it's just in some places it'll be small and in other places it'll be large. Uh, we, we actually on our mission trips, we walk through a couple of red light districts that are rather large, probably 20 to 30 establishments all in a small little uh, like three story plaza that we walk through and it's so it's just a really high concentration it's really it's the one place we go to it it bills itself as the adult playground the adult playground the world's largest adult playground or something along those lines um where they just really yeah they just really make no bones about why they're there and can and, can you can you maybe shed some light on i think there's definitely you know the perspective out there that um a lot of some of the girls that are in those places choose to be there, right? Like, is there, is there any truth to that? Well, yes. I know that's no. tough and might derail the, it, the it, answer a little it, bit. I'm just, no, no, no. That's, that's a really good question. So I, I, it's more no than yes. I don't know that any girl grows up wanting to be a prostitute. Right. Um, I don't know that any girl grows up wanting to be abused by men multiple times a night. Um, some of the girls, they, they choose this in, in the sense that it's their only choice mm. and they either choose to do this or they starve to death. Oh, and geez. is that really, is that really a choice mm. um, at that point? So it, it might sound like they choose to be there and they, they want to be in the bars but they don't really. Um, they will yeah, be yeah. there because they think that this is their only option. Yeah, and I, and I think I ask because I, I'm sure that there are, are are people out there that convince themselves of that in order to you know go through with being a customer or things like that. So any opportunity we have to say that that's bullcrap, <laughs> I want to call that out. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. And and that's a really good point because all of these girls, there's what's called a mama son. The mama-san is the one that's running the girls. She's in charge of all of the girls and making mm -hmm. sure that they're acting the way that they're supposed to act. And all of these girls are coached and know how to act in a way that makes you think that they want to be there and that they're a part, like, like they're enjoying yes. this. Right. Yeah. And it's yeah. interesting when you walk through the red light district, what I, what I always try to do when I walk through and I, we, we take the mission team through to, for them to see what's going on. We always try and coach them to say, okay, try and look at the girls that think nobody's watching them and see what they're, what, what the look on their face is. And so you walk past this place and they, they're trying to get you to come in and, and they're all happy. Hey, let's party. And you walk away. And if there's nobody else around that, that look on their face instantly changes. Hmm. And you can kind of catch those kind of faraway looks and you can catch those, those times when you can tell that that girl would rather be anywhere, but where she's at right now. Um, yeah. And that, that's, that's yeah. important, yeah. you know? So it's, it's easy for, it's easy for the customers to convince themselves that the girls are enjoying it and having a good time, right. but they're not, they're yeah. really not. It makes, and it makes them feel like less of a monster to believe that. Right. 
Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Or, well, or they think they're going there to help support their edu. I'm, I'm giving them money so that they can get their education. Right. right. No, yeah. that's not really Jeez. what's happening. Right. Yeah. yeah so. Yeah. Well, um, from the expert guys. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Um, well, maybe tell us about uh, your story of being able to actually go in to one of those places. Absolutely. So this was. This was a mission trip I was on. I was leading it. It was with uh, Grand Canyon University. Um, th- they had come over. We got there the day. It was like on a, it was a Friday. It's 24 hours travel to get to Thailand. Um, and one of our rescue agents had contacted me about a week beforehand and said, hey, I know you're coming over on this trip. There's this girl that we had in our care. She left our care, and we think she might have gone back into um, – into one of the bars that she had been working at before, I'd really like to go out and see if we can find her. They, our, our team always goes in in pairs at least just mm-hmm. for safety and for accountability. Mm-hmm. He said, all of our other agents are out of the country or they're on other missions. I have nobody to go with me. Would you be willing to go with me? And my wife and I had prayed about it and we had talked about it ahead of time. And, and we had decided, yeah, if I ever got the opportunity to do this, I would do it. Uh, and it's it's not something that I, I entered lightly at all. Right. And so yeah. we get there on, on Friday. We, we, we have this Friday evening with the team. Uh, we send the rest of the team back with the other leader. They go back to the, to the hotel to, to sleep. And um, I'm going to go out on rescue with, with, uh, with this agent. And we're going to go look for this girl. And so we go out. And I had, I had my bag with me, which had all of the money for the mission trip in the bag. I was supposed to give it to the other leader and have her take it back to the hotel for me and not realizing until I got to the bar that I had this with me. So that just added to my level of uh, anxiety as we go into this place. It's not really knowing what to expect. Um, We go in, we walk in, we sit down and we kind of looking around and we, he, he's looking for the girl that we, that, that he's trying to find. Um, and at the same time, he says, hey, let's uh, we'll go ahead and let's see if we can pick out two young girls and see if we can get some information on them. Maybe they'll be, um, you know, we can help rescue them mm-hmm. and we can start the process. And we sit down and it's it's just this really dark bar. Um, it's basically it's a it, it, there's a stage with a bunch of girls dancing on the poles and they're wearing bikinis and the Thai culture is very a very proper culture where they, they tend to dress very modest. Mm-hmm. And so for them to be in public in a bikini is really going against their culture. And so we're sitting there and they, we pick out these two girls and we said, Hey, we'd like to sit with them. And so mama San has them come over and they sit down with us. And it was really, they sit down and you could tell, again, it's one of those things where they're there, but they don't really want to be there. And they're sitting in a way that they're kind of trying to cover up and they're, they're really closed and um, they're kind of playing on their phones a little bit while we're sitting there. And I'm trying to talk to them. I know two words in Thai. Um, and so to say hello and thank you doesn't get you very far in a conversation. They know a lot more English than I know Thai, but they still don't know that much English. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're talking and, and the rescue agent that's with me, he knows a uh, quite a bit more Thai than I do. And so um, he said, I'm going to make you the butt of the, a lot of the jokes, just so you know, just because you don't know any Thai. And so I can, <laughs> right. I can talk with them. And so they, you you they, can just kind of laugh with them. <laughs> right. Exactly. I can laugh yeah. with them as they're laughing at me. And so we sit there with them and it had to be, we had to be there for about 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And just by the end of the night, um, these girls, their demeanor completely changed by the end of the night because we weren't, we, you know, we're looking them in the eye. We're not looking at their whole body. We're, we're not touching them in any type of inappropriate way. Mm-hmm. Um, we are obviously interested in them as people and not them as sex objects. Right. And it's amazing how much their body language and their overall demeanor changed when a couple of Christian guys go into one of the darkest places in the world. Wow. Um, it was completely overwhelming. The music was up at 11 type thing. You know, I mean, it's just pounding bass and everything. But um, we kind of had this little oasis 
in the corner where we could we could talk with these girls and the rescue agent he got their he got their contact information and I still remember their names were Fa and Fawn and um, they turned out they were over 18 which doesn't mean we won't help them but they're not our primary target but he was able to get their contact information. He was able to get the mama-san's contact information, which is kind of rare. Um, they don't usually want to give out their contact information. We did not find the girl at that bar. We ended up going to another bar, and they were just she wasn't there either. Um, but it was just a it was an interesting night to be able to sit down and just um, just be mm. kind of a tangible example of the love of Christ for mm. these girls. Um, and just to see what impact that had in their lives or in, in their demeanor and in their, in their behavior towards right. us. Um, it was, it was just from what they're used to. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and even just looking around the bar and seeing other guys in the bar with, with these girls and they're just like draped all over them. Um, you know, trying to really kind of pretend like, like this is, these are two people in love and you can tell that these these girls are just kind of playing along with them. And um, it was fascinating to see the difference, the girls that we were with and how they acted compared to the other girls in the place. You could tell that they were much more comfortable and they knew that they were going to have a night, an easier night uh, than the rest of them. So it was, it was pretty interesting from that standpoint. Mm-hmm. So how does, how does a girl go from, your interaction like in that situation say they weren't say they were under 18 how do you then go from that interaction to then offering them a way out and uh, a way to for aftercare and how do you convince a uh, a child or a girl to leave right. when they're making trust money you, that you and won't. trust you that you're not going to put them into a worse situation yeah uh, but then also help them to be able to still take care of themselves. Yeah, that's, that is, that is one of the biggest challenges we have. And it kind of depends on the individual girl's situation. Uh, We rescue some girls in some places where our guys come in. They're obviously different than everybody else. And the girls are in such a bad situation that they want, they want out. And those girls are really easy to, to make that connection with. Um, and it might be our guys go and visit that girl once or twice and, and she's ready to go out. Um, in some other situations where they think they might not have it so bad, um, where they're at and what they might end up in, it, you had mentioned it, Taylor, they're afraid that they're going to end up in a situation that's worse than where they're at now. And so they have no reason to trust us. We look like every other guy that comes in there. Yeah, we may act a little bit different, but they still don't really have any reason to trust us. They hear lies all the time. And so what our guys will do is they will just keep going back and going back and going back and building that relationship with these girls. And eventually they will turn to us and say something to the effect of you're different than the other guys. And that's when we know that we can, we can start to make that offer to get them out um, because they, they're looking at us as very different um, and all along, we'll be sharing them with them, you know, hey, we, we, we can get you out, we can help you. Um, there's different ways that we can approach that. But a lot of times what we'll do is um, we'll pay what's called a bar fine that allows us to take the girl away from the establishment. Uh, the establishment, they think you're going to have sex, but then we'll take them to someplace like McDonald's or something like that and just sit down and have a meal and just talk. And they start to realize, okay, these maybe these guys can be trusted and that's when we can we can get them out and we'll take them to our homes we have rescue homes we also have different forms of aftercare we we do a lot of what's called community care where we actually we would prefer them to be back in their own home that is the safest that is the best place for recovery if it's a safe place for them to be Um, think about if you have kids and something happened to your kid, would you want them going to an orphanage or would you want them going back to your own home? And so a lot of times the best place for them is to go back to their own home. We work with them. We work with the family, really trying to figure out, okay, what does it take so that your girl doesn't have to go work? How much extra money do you need to earn a month? How can we get you there? And so really kind of trying to work with not just the girl, but with the family. 
um, and then really working with the with the girls and, and allowing them to shape their aftercare and being able to say, okay, what would you rather do? Let's make a plan to get you to where you want to go. And mm, it's really cool. cool to see some of the things that these girls do. Right. Sometimes it's everything from they want to do like um, hair care and beauty care just because that's they, they want to look beautiful and they want to help other people look beautiful. And they want to go into that. We've had other girls where they go into um, they'll go into like hospitality where they're actually running hotels or we, we have one girl, she is, um, she does the, she works in the cafes and she works, she does the cappuccino art, like the really fancy stuff. Oh yeah. That's um, where cool. it'll be, it'll be a picture of like a dog or a cat or a person. Um, and, and so it, it would always be fun for me to go and get a cappuccino from her because she would have some fancy picture on it. You know, like that. We've had other girls that have gone into um, uh, computer animation uh, and really wanting to do that. So it's it's a really wide variety of things. People they want to do they want to do education or or they want to go into nursing and things like that. We help them get to wherever they want to go. It's crazy to I mean, just like after being through something so traumatic, to still be like, there's still dreams here, and I still want to do. Yeah, man, yeah. that is that is wonderful. Well, does does Destiny Rescue have uh, any businesses that they own that they employ girls, or any businesses that they work with to get girls internships or to employ them? So we used to do a lot. We used to have a couple of our own businesses, and we don't anymore. Uh, we had a jewelry making business, so there is some Destiny Rescue jewelry out there, um, but actually we found that the girls, they all have better options and they were all deciding to go into other things and into jewelry making. So we've actually shut down our jewelry business. Um, that actually happened last year, uh, the end of last year. So that's done. Um, we have, we tend to partner. Uh, our bread and butter is, is helping to rescue girls and keep them free from sex trafficking. So we, we partner, we'd rather partner with somebody who is their skill is employment and, and, and things like that, where we have an organization, we have a company that we work with that started as a destiny rescue business and is now their own individual company. That's called outland denim. Uh, they make the high end jeans. And as a matter of fact, if you follow the Royal family at all, um, Megan Markle, who is married to Harry, <laughs> I think it just is. say, just say uh, the prince, one yeah, of the princes, <laughs> one of the princes, uh, she, she has worn the outland denim jeans that are basically made by girls who have been rescued by destiny rescue. Um, she's worn them a number of times. And so that's just a really good job. Awesome. To into. So, so for all of our, our listeners that follow the Royal family, if you want to wear pants like Meghan Markle, <laughs> there's a yep. link in the show notes. Yeah. We'll, we'll wait for the next <laughs> show notes. Um, yeah. So, so just partner. So we partner. No, yeah. That's, that's awesome. Um, if there was some, uh, just signs to look for, like if, if I'm a listener and I want to be just kind of aware of, you know, things to watch out for, is there anything like that, Michael, that you could speak to? Yeah. Um, is there anything like as a listener, uh, we can do to take responsibility to help, mm-hmm. uh, really fight against child sex trafficking nationally and internationally? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that you can do is go to the National Human Trafficking Hotline. Um, There is all sorts of resources there. Uh, The Polaris Project is another one. This is going to be National National Human Trafficking Hotline is really going to be local or in the U.S. Um, Polaris Project is is both U.S. but also on on a global level. Um, they're going to have a lot of resources. I would highly recommend going there. Um, anytime you, that you find some of the things, some of the key things to kind of look for is, is when, when girls don't seem to have control over their own lives. Um, that's a, that's a key indicator that there might be something going on there. Like they have to check with their boyfriend before they do anything, or they can't do anything without their boyfriend's approval that is a situation that you always want to kind of try and keep an eye on. It might not even be a trafficking situation, um, but it, it might be something where 
uh, there is some sort of abuse going on there. And so that's something to kind of always keep an eye out for. Um, yeah, that's helpful. But I would highly recommend going to the, to the, to those different sites, the, especially, like I said, the national human trafficking hotline, that is a great site for resources. If you want to be able to, mm. to take a look at, um, what's going on here, um, I would also highly recommend that you go to Destiny Rescue's website and take a look at what we're doing. That's um, important. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, we could always use help. Uh, it is a yeah. huge issue, you know, and so um, it's something that, that we need as much help as we can. It's it's a huge fight. I mean, it, it is a multi-billion dollar industry yeah. that we're fighting yeah. against. You know, yeah. So there's there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And there's a lot of people that need to play a very important role it's it's amazing to think that um, you know one person can make the difference in the life of a girl. If you look at the problem as a whole, you're gonna get overwhelmed. But if you think about there's one girl that I can make the difference in one girl's life, yeah. all of a sudden the problem doesn't seem so big. Mm-hmm. And if we all decide that we want to make the difference in one girl's life, um, that's when we're really going to be able to do something. Yeah. So, Michael, uh, besides Cubs opening day being a little over a month away, um, what are you passionate about right now? I am really passionate about, obviously, this issue. uh, But what I'm really passionate about within our organization is right now my goal is to try and build um, some organizational efficiencies that allow us to rescue more children. And that doesn't necessarily sound really exciting when you start talking about things like organizational efficiencies. That's not like, I'm sure there's not a ton of people that are going to be sitting there going, oh, sign me up for that. <laughs> but it's where God has gifted me and it is where God has placed me. And I can make a huge impact in the lives of kids simply by helping Destiny Rescue be a better organization. Um, and that goes through everything from looking at the way we do things to also helping other people become better leaders and just to be better at what they do, um, just allowing us to rescue more kids. Well, Michael, thank you for coming on the podcast today. It is super honorable, the work that you do of yeah. not only sharing stories, but helping support an organization that rescues kids out of sex trafficking. Thank you for arming us yeah with some definitely info. Feel enlightened yeah for sure and thank you for a call to action uh, for us and our listeners and so thank you for taking your time uh we loved having you on the podcast hey guys thank you so much for having me i really appreciated uh being able to be here and to share about not just destiny rescue but about leadership i've really enjoyed uh, all of that you guys, uh, you guys have done on the podcast. I'm not just a guest on the podcast. I'm an avid listener and cannot <laughs> wait for the next episode to come out. So yeah. thank you for what you guys do as well. Great. Thank you, Michael. Thanks, Mike. We really hope that you enjoyed that episode with Michael. Uh, really great guy. Love what he's doing. Uh, would love for you guys to check out Disney Rescue. See all their work that they're doing in Southeast Asia. And uh, maybe be a voice in helping the voiceless. On next week's episode, we have Jordan Susurio. Jordan is the pastor of Home Downtown, a church in downtown Colorado Springs. Aimed towards helping millennials. Uh, get engaged in the church. So we have a really interesting conversation with Jordan about how to engage millennials and how to invite them into community. Also, we talk about the story of home church and we get into a really interesting conversation about how to create space that creates an environment open for sharing. So we'd love for you guys to check that out. That drops next week. And as you wait for next week's episode, make sure if you haven't yet to follow us on social media, 
wtfr.podcast and we are on instagram and facebook currently also if you haven't yet make sure and smash that subscribe button we would love for you to be part of our loyal listenership definitely we're so thankful for you guys um and if you think that these stories are inspiring encouraging um to to you or to maybe some you think they could be to someone you know we would love it if you would share us on your platforms because our goal is to get these stories in front of people so that they feel inspired to take responsibility in their lives until next time i'm kyle bush and on behalf of taylor holmes we take full responsibility we'll be right back.